My name is Mandy McKay, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon audio of Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that is committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this collection of sermons both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. One quick word of encouragement before we begin this episode's sermon. We at Sojourn absolutely love it that you're tuning in to what God is teaching us here. But more than anything else, we want this podcast to be supplementary to an already growing devotion to your own church body and nothing else. This collection and others like it are great in making God's word to us more available and understandable, but it can never be a healthy substitute for real participation in the body of Christ. Enjoy this sermon. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Sojourn. Glad you guys are all with us. Thank you, Philip, for uh, coming and filling in for us this week and uh, backup vocalist from Hope International Church. Uh, Today, as we stated at the beginning, is the day that our culture celebrates Father's Day. So I do want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. I was uh, got woken up this morning with two of the kids getting in bed, although one wanted to be with mom and not dad. And then one of my uh, sons made me a breakfast bowl uh, that I got to come downstairs to. And then we went on a family hike this morning, which was a lot of fun, and got to enjoy uh, the weather and just enjoy what the Pacific Northwest has to offer us this time of year. Uh, This is also a special day for my family. We are celebrating two years ago today, probably about this time that we arrived in the city. And so as we were driving through the gorge, kind of back to our house this afternoon, I told our our kids, hey, two years ago, we were making this same drive, and we were arriving in the city of Portland that we had just kind of uprooted our lives, and we're going to plan our lives here in this city of Portland. So we like to make a big deal about that and celebrate those things. We were told moving here that uh, this is one of the hardest cities in North America to come in and plan a church in the way that we're doing it from scratch. And so the fact that we're still here two years later is an accomplishment in itself, but all that even goes to God for uh, the praise and glory of that. And so um, kind of combined with Father's Day, we're celebrating. We've got brownies out there. Those of you who come to my house afterwards, we're going to have some ice cream and just make a celebration of this. Uh, For those of you who are new, or maybe you're kind of just checking us out for the first time, we usually go through books of the Bible at Sojourn. In fact, we just finished the book of Ephesians, and so if you'd like to hear those sermons or catch up on, like, what God's teaching us here, I believe all the sermon audio is up, or it's almost up on Spotify if you podcast, or on Apple um, iTunes podcast, and then on our website as well. Um, But we know that the rhythms of our city change when we enter the summer months, and all of a sudden, all the people that we didn't see during the winter months are out of hibernation, and they're out gardening, and they're out having barbecue queues and they're out in the parks and the concert and the festivals. All of a sudden there's all these people around and that's why we wanted to take the summer months to really focus in on evangelism as we consider how it was that Jesus befriended people, specifically in the gospel of Luke. And so we want to see how people... Um, see people meet Jesus this summer. And one of the ways that we want to do that is looking at the ordinaries of life and how we see Jesus joining people in their everyday rhythms and what it is that they're doing. And so we have that opportunity to do that this summer. That's why I wanted to show this brief little video of where you see life happening around the table. And, you know, that's where most life decisions happen. That's where conversations happen. That's probably where you get in debates with people about things, but that's also where you can come and get reconciled whenever you're, you're having a meal. And setting a meal for someone is just a really great way to, uh, to really posture that, to say, hey, I want 
want to get, I want to get right with you. Let's, let's sit across the table from one another or have a cup of coffee together or maybe get some ice cream or something like that together. And so the Gospel of Luke, as that video uh, hinted at, says the Son of Man came eating and drinking, which is why we're looking at these stories of life change where we always see Jesus going to someone's table or coming from someone's table. And my hope as a pastor is that we're all inviting people to join us around the table or whether you're being invited into those tables and that you're taking those opportunities to dine with those that are different than you, dine with those who don't look like you, dine with those who don't vote the same way that you do or have the same religious views or spiritual beliefs as you, dine with them because I believe that is where life change is going to take place. Last week we looked at dining with the despised and the grace that given to those that don't understand it or deserve it and we looked at the story of Levi, uh, the tax collector who was really despised by society but that Jesus dined with him. We see Levi's life change as Jesus called him to leave everything and to follow him and he, he obeyed um, and, and did that. And so this week we're actually going to look at the idea of community in the kingdom of God and how forgiveness and grace is a key mark in a community kingdom and how those that are welcome into the kingdom of God are often those that the world excludes. So as you look at this story tonight, think about are you welcoming these types of people or are you excluding these types of people? Um, which is why I've titled our sermon tonight, Meeting Jesus at the Table. And that's really what we're going to see and what we're going to experience tonight. So in opening, imagine with me tonight we're at a dinner party. So instead of these rows here, imagine that we're sitting around a table, uh, or maybe it's a really long table here, and we've got all kinds of side dishes, and we've got different vegan options and non-vegan options, and we're just having a great time enjoying this meal. And the reason for this meal is that um, the host of our party is a known leader in the city and a local businessman, and the purpose is that there's an honoring guest in town. And so you are privileged that you just even have a seat at this table. This is not a the type of event that you're normally invited to, but somehow you got an invitation, you knew someone who knew someone, or maybe your, your father knew this individual, so they invite you into this party. And you've heard about the honored guest for some time. You know he has some radical views, but you want to have a chance to check him out for yourself because you've, you've heard all the buzz, all the chatter, you've looked at all the news reports, you've seen all the stuff on social media. They even have a hashtag for this individual. That's how popular they're, they're getting this theme and momentum that they're gaining. And suddenly as you guys are eating and you're just enjoying yourself, you hear this loud pound at the door and you see that this woman pushes her way through. So imagine we're in this room, she kind of pushes her way through, through this side door here. And the host, and especially his wife, they just kind of look horrified like, oh no, the party's going great. What's happening here? This woman is wearing a tight-fitting low-cut shirt and a skirt that doesn't leave much to the imagination. She's all painted up. She's kind of wobbling as she walks in, as if she's had one too many drinks already for the evening. She appears to have stumbled in from one of the strip clubs in town, or, or maybe worse, maybe she came in off one of the street corners. You've seen this woman on the corner before, and you know the kind of work that she does. She's one of those working girls. And next, the worst thing that the host can imagine, it actually happens. The woman goes straight to this visiting speaker. She throws her arms around him. She places his head on her already exposed breast, and she starts rubbing his shoulders. Everyone is horrified at this point. Everyone's kind of start turning red, and the, the room is just kind of getting silent, like, what is happening here? But then everyone notices something. The woman is now sobbing. Her, she just uncontrollably crying. And everyone in the room feels really awkward at that moment for both of them, for both the woman and for this honored guest and even for the host. But they're more so embarrassed for the guest speaker. Like, man, this was his special night that we came to honor him and that we all bought tickets, you know, and got invited to this party. And then here he is, like, this woman comes in, like, he didn't do anything to deserve this. But in that moment, instead of pushing her away, he reaches up and he grabs her and he embraces her. He puts his arms around her. He says something to the woman that sounds like, you are loved. 
Suddenly the room is full of chatter. This is not what they expected. And this, like, what did they just experience here? What is it that just took place? Surely this guest can tell what type of woman this is. Did he really just say that to her? Did he really just say that you are loved? And so tonight, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, we are going to enter into a dinner party, a scene that's very similar to this. So turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen in front of me, but if you prefer to have a paper one in front of you, we have some blue ones on the table there in the back. We will start in verse 36, and we're eventually going to work our way all the way to verse 50. Let me pray for us as you are turning there, and we will get started in the passage. God, we just want to come to you tonight and just thank you for who you are, for your love in our lives. God, that we can come together on Sunday evenings like this and sing songs of praise to you, to fellowship with one another. And God, that we get a chance to look at your word. And just as Tyler prayed earlier, God, that you would speak to us tonight, that you would move me out of the way, and God, that your words would would come to life, and that you would um, speak to our hearts. God, that you would call us to action on who it is that, that we are inviting to join us around the tables in everyday life as you are changing people's hearts, and changing people's lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So verse 36, our passage starts out. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So here we are in the opening scene. We see a Pharisee. If you're not familiar with Pharisees, they're the most influential of the Jewish sects at this time. And he, this Pharisee invites Jesus to a meal, and Jesus accepts the invitation. Now, at first, this story, almost, um, it, it's almost like a contradiction to last week, if you were here, because it talked about how the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a, drunken, a drunkard and a, and a glutton. And all of a sudden, we see this Pharisee this week, and he, he's sitting here, and he's inviting Jesus to come in and, and actually have a, a meal with him. And so, Jesus was on the rise at the time. He was a religious leader of sorts that people started hearing about. And, and, and one thing, as I was studying commentaries this week, it talked about how they would invite someone, like uh, a character like Jesus in, and almost try to vet them. There's like a vetting process. Let, let's, inv- like, let's invite Jesus in to see if he's the real deal, see how much knowledge he really has. And so in a sense, that's what's happening here. And that's just to kind of set the tone for the party. But we're going to see that uh, it seemed at first like there was an exception to the rule that Simon was a different type of Pharisee, that, man, he actually wants to get to know Jesus and have fellowship with Jesus. But we'll kind of learn that the story is going to reveal otherwise. And so they're reclining at the table. They're about to start eating and pick back up in verse 37. It says, And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And so suddenly, as they're sitting at this table, they're relaxing, they're starting to dine, we see this, what is described as a woman of the city. She enters into the house, which is Luke's nice way of saying a prostitute. And so a woman of the city can be like a prostitute, enters into the scene. And so everything's wrong with this picture, because during this time in the history of the world, in this culture specifically, women would not have been at these types of events. That's what I love about the Bible, because we continuously see it shake up the cultural norms, even of the time that it was written. And so that would have not been normal 
normal. This is more of a theological discussion. At that time, they would have kind of excluded women. Uh, thankfully, Jesus is the one we always see welcoming women and, and providing a place for women. But the culture would have said, no, this is not appropriate for you. And besides that, she's not even invited. So even if it was appropriate, she's not invited. And so just in case you're wondering, you don't typically just walk into someone's home uninvited. Uh, where I'm from in the country, it's a good way to get shot. You know, a lot of people carry guns. So if you just walk into their house and say, hey, I want to I have some food. Or, or even in Portland, I remember last summer, my son and I, uh, my middle son, Liam, we were going around inviting people to, I don't know, it was like a barbecue or something that we were doing with the church. And there were some doors open because it was a hot day in Portland. And a lot of people don't have air conditioning. So the door's wide open. And, and he just walks right in. And, you know, they're like, hey, what, what's going on? And so I was like, I'm sorry, please, you know, I don't know if you have weapons or animals or what do you have, but you don't just walk in. And so this woman just walks in to the middle of this dinner party, uninvited guest, where there's an honor guest, and she just kind of joins them um, at what ha- is what is happening. And we are told that the woman likely slips in off the street. And, and the people at the table, they recognize her because she is known in the city as a sinner. So I don't think this was a woman who they didn't recognize. They had probably seen her around town as they're, they're going about their everyday business. And the, so this is the girl that in high school that kind of had that reputation, the one who slept around with a lot of guys, the one that everyone assumed was going to get pregnant before she turned 18. And here she's not explicitly called a prostitute in the English language, but it's implied that she is likely a prostitute. And so we see her treat Jesus with a shocking degree of intimacy as she enters this scene. She didn't kind of slip in off the street, and like a lot of us, we'd probably would have kind of tried to sneak in the background, and maybe I'll just slouch down, they won't notice I'm here. Like, she goes straight up to the honored guest, treats him with a, a really shocking degree of intimacy, almost as if she already knows him. Many New Testament scholars actually believe that this was not their first encounter, which is why she knows who he is and she acts the way that we see. So Jesus has his own reputation. And so it's like they have already encountered one another at some point, likely. And it seems there's a level of trust there where she goes, I know exactly where I'm going when I get into this party. I'm not going to the host. I'm not going to the rest of us that are sitting in there. I am going to the honored guest because she knows what the honored guest represents, as we will see. So she gets there, and she says she starts to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears as an act of hospitality, an act of hospitality by the way that Simon omitted, and she proceeds to wipe them clean with her hair. So at that time, you're, you're, the streets are dirty. From when I lived over in, in South Asia, you took your shoes off every time you went somewhere because there's a lot of dirty roads, dusty roads, and so the dust would, would, would get up in the air. And So they'd wash their feet, and a lot of times they'd wash their feet when they would enter a home. Well, Simon had, had uh, neglected to do that responsibility. So now we see this woman come in and right away she starts crying and she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and then wiping them clean with her hair. And her tears are are tears both of thankfulness and also of a reverent awe. She senses the presence of God in the person of Jesus. And so we're going to see this woman continue to kind of put it all out there because she knows that Jesus is worth risking everything. And her act would have been considered extremely improper, so it took courage on her part to do such a thing. So I think we kind of read this story, and it's easy just to kind of gloss over it. Like, okay, you have this woman of the city, whatever that even means, and she goes up to the honor guest. Like, yeah, that'd be an awkward situation, but if we could understand to the degree to what this would have meant at that time, time and the courage that it took her to enter this. Once again, they didn't allow women at all in this type of setting in that culture. So when a woman enters in, the the type of woman who enters in, and then the degree of intimacy that she treats the honored guest with. To set it up in its proper context, some commentators say that letting her hair down in public, that part alone would be on part a day with appearing topless in public. Now, in a city like Portland, that may not seem that strange. And I don't even really say that to be funny because we live in a culture in a city that just kind of stuff is just normal. But at that time, that would have been very obviously risque, and it should be in our time as well. Not the hair part, but the other part. 
The story continues, verse 39. It says, Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. At this point in the story, we see Jesus being questioned, similar to last week for those of you that were here, when he denied, when he dined with Levi. The, the rest of the crowd's kind of going, well, surely this man, remember they're vetting Jesus here, and they're going, all right, Jesus has failed the vetting process. He is not who people say that he is, and he is not the, the teacher that we thought that he was, because surely if he were this, this prophet, he would have known what type of woman this is, and he would not want to be associated with her in any kind of way. And so Simon's thinking, if Jesus were who he actually claims to be and who people think he is, he should be shunning this woman away, like, whoa, whoa, what are you, what are you doing here? You shouldn't touch me. Don't get near me. But Jesus instead does quite the opposite. We see that Jesus in this story, he is happy to link his identity to this woman. Just as he is happy to link his identity to yours and to mine. So think of the type of woman. Whether, you know, think of how the people are thinking of her. Think of this type of woman maybe in our own city. And Jesus, I am happy to link my identity with her. That's why he embraces her, he hugs her, and he says, you are loved and you are mine. And in the same way, Jesus is happy to link his identity with yours and with mine. So think about your own life for a moment. Have you ever had to overcome something embarrassing or humiliating in order to get something that you really wanted or needed? Maybe you're in the middle of something right now, something that you need to overcome. This woman, what we see here, she was willing to risk to take the risk, no matter what the consequences were, because she knew that Jesus had something she needed and wanted at all costs. That's really what this story shows us, is that she knew that Jesus was the real deal, and she said, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to break all the cultural norms. I'm going to break all the cultural taboos. Forget all of those. I'm willing to do whatever it takes in order to have an encounter with Jesus. And my question for you is, have you ever found yourself there? Have you ever found yourself, you say, no, I'm willing to risk whatever it is. I'm willing to risk the little bit of a name I have, the little bit of a reputation that I have, even interaction with family, whatever I need to do, because I want to have a real encounter with Almighty God. This, is, this, this example fails in comparison, but I remember a friend of mine who had grown up in church, who had given his life over to, to Christ at a fairly young age, and he had been baptized, and he was now considered a leader. He's a high school student at this point, and he'd been considered a leader in the church, and you know, he was the type of kid who was a really good kid, and all of the other parents would look at their kids and be like, why can't you be more like Chris? Because Chris is a really good kid. He obeys all the rules, and he was squeaky clean, and he, 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 he dressed good, and just did everything right. He led worship for the youth group, and was the leader of the youth band. And I can remember one Sunday when Chris went before the church, and it was a church of about 1,200 people, and he pretty much said, I have never actually given my life over to Christ. I have known some religious stuff here, and I've known the right answers, and I've known the rules, I've known how to obey them, but I've never actually had a, my life changed, my heart changed. And so, uh, I, once again, it fails in comparison. I just remember, especially at that time, being like, man, that's a big deal, because he had this reputation, and all of a sudden it was like that reputation was just blown up. And so he had to start, he started all over. And in a sense, he risked that, that, that squeaky clean reputation that he had built, and he had his place as a leader, which may not seem like a big deal, but at that time, especially for, for his age and the age of those around him, his peers, that was a really big deal. And so this woman says, I'm willing to risk everything that I have in order to have this encounter with Jesus. Continue verse 40. It says, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money leader had two debtors. 
One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one whom I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And so at times, I say people need to be rebuked publicly. And in Simon's case, he had made this a public issue. So this wasn't a private issue where it was like, all right, Simon, we're going to go to the corner, or we're going to go to the other room, we're going to have this conversation. Simon's doing all this in public, so Jesus said, cool, this is a public issue, so, so I'm going to take this opportunity to teach. So Jesus shows Simon that not only is he a prophet, because remember, they're questioning Jesus here, going like, Jesus doesn't know these things. But not only is he a prophet, but yes, that he knows the sin of the woman. And so he says, I, I know what kind of woman this is. I know that she has issues and that she's, she has brokenness. But he also knows the thoughts and sins of Simon. So he's saying, you do as well. It's not only this woman, but sh- you also have sin. You also have brokenness. And maybe some of you have been there. Maybe, maybe you're at a place where you are more like a Simon and where you, you, kinda, you tend to judge others and say, man, they've got issues in their lives and they're broken, but look at, look at me over here. And Jesus saying, no, all of us need to, uh, uh, to come to the realization that we have sin in our lives and we have brokenness in our lives. You've heard me say it before, but because of the series being called Around the Table, that none of us are guests at the table, or none of us are ushers at the table of Jesus, but we are all guests. And Jesus is the one who's provided that place for us, nobody else. And so Jesus is showing us there's only two categories of people in the world. And so all of you in here, there's only two categories. I want you to hear this. You fall into one of these two. There are holy people. That's category one, and there are unholy people. This is category two. And Jesus is the only one in the holy category. Everyone else is in the un- unholy category. So Simon clearly has himself in the wrong category as he considers himself holy. So that, that's one of the other aspects of the story that's wrong. Is Simon considers himself like, I, he's the holy one, and then you have all these other unholy people. But Simon is also in the unholy category. And this is why Simon thinks that he has a leg up on the woman, and that he's able to point out her sins and call her a sinner. Simon's kind of like, man, I got this thing under control. Look at this individual here. And he thinks because he is righteous. And on top of that, he thinks that he is holier than Jesus because he thinks that Jesus has failed to recognize the woman for who she actually is. And maybe you found yourself there. Maybe you found yourself questioning God. And in a sense, you think that you're better than God. Like, not only do I have a leg up on these other people around me, but I have a leg up on God himself. Now, none of us would probably say that. We're probably, we'd be foolish to say that. And you might even think you might get struck by lightning if you verbally said that. But what about the posture of your life and the posture of your heart? Do you posture your life in your heart in a way that says, I know more than God? I'll be transparent. There's, there's days and moments of weakness and failure that, that I do that. I, and I, I don't verbally say it. And I think in that moment that I, that's not my posture, but as I take a time to step back and I look, man, I was, I was like thinking I was better than God in that moment. That I knew more than God. And instead, we see Jesus flip this whole idea on its head as he shows that he is the God-man, that he knows the woman is a sinner, and he says, I know that, Simon, that you are also a sinner. Religious people always see the sins of others while they're unaware of their own sin. And the woman is the one who's actually here serving Jesus. Simon is the host. He's the one who should be serving, especially at this time in this culture. Simon's the one who should have been cleaning the feet and making sure that everything was provided for the special guest of Jesus, but he doesn't do most of those things. He fails at those. Instead, the woman here is the one who's actually doing the serving, the very same thing that Simon should have been doing. But instead, he's busy criticizing other people. And some of us in this room sadly may be like Simon tonight. We serve Jesus in our head while we criticize those around us who are actually serving Jesus. It's real easy to do that. It's real easy to point out the flaws in others while they're actually serving Jesus and giving their best to Jesus and putting everything out there for Jesus. Meanwhile, we're just over here kind of like, well, I did that wrong, and <laughs> they could have done this a little bit better. It's like, are you even doing anything for Jesus? Come on, Simon. Wake up here. 
But we see that Jesus here not only sees our actions, he also knows our thoughts, and he actually knows who is serving him. That's why people remind me all the time. I can hear my dad saying it to me right now. Just serve God, serve him faithfully, and do it for Jesus. You're not doing it for, I'm not even doing it for my wife. I'm not doing it for my family. You're not doing it for those who, who call sojourn their church. You're not even doing it for the city. You're doing it ultimately for God because God's the one who's called you to do it. And it's about obedience and faithfulness to him. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to teach Simon a principle by using some simple math. So Jesus tells Simon a story, and he asks him a question, a question in which he gets right. So imagine you go home this evening, and a neighbor comes over to you. And, and the neighbor says something to the extent of, someone stopped by from the electric company, and while you were gone, because you owed money on your electric bill, they were going to shut off your power. But don't worry, I've gone ahead and I've, I've paid the bill for you so, you, so you still have electricity. So naturally, you're going to be grateful for them, because you're going to be like, man, I want electricity. Like, I've got to watch my Netflix shows tonight, and I've got to have lights, I've got to have the internet, and I've got to have electricity. I have all those things. Man, I'm so thankful. Thank you so much for, for paying my bill. And so if you find out that maybe it was $50 that you owed, it kind of uh, built up over time, or maybe it was from last month, you're like, oh, man, like, I'll get you a check for $50. Let me run to the ATM. I'll, I'll get you 50 bucks. Or for some reason, if you're just really low on cash, you'll call a friend, or two or three friends. Can I get $20? You know? Can you spot me? I'll pay you back. So you'd be thankful for them because they paid your electric bill, and that now you have electricity. But suppose that your neighbor came up to you tonight when you get home, and they say, hey, a debt collector came from the IRS. They showed up at your house with a police car ready to arrest you and to take you to jail because you owe $250,000 in back taxes. But don't worry. I took care of the entire bill. And don't worry about paying me back because it's all been taken care of. IRS is good to go. I smooth things over for you. Now, you'd be infinitely more grateful for the person who paid the larger debt. The one who paid that $250,000, and you would say, what, what can I do to pay you back? And they're going, no, you're, you are good to go. And so the problem here is that Simon thinks he's the only one who owes a little debt to God. Simon's like, yeah, I owe a little bit. You know, I owe like, like $50 worth of sins to God. Like, I am good to go. But the woman, she owes $250,000 in, in back taxes. And so Jesus says, but if both of your debts are canceled, the $50 and the $250,000, but in this sense, sin, wouldn't she actually be more grateful than you? Wouldn't she actually be more grateful? Because she has more that I need to take away and, the, and to wipe the debt away. And so the principle that Jesus is showing here is that if someone forgives you, you will love them. And this is what we see of the woman. She knew there was something special about Jesus, and she knew that Jesus was the only one who could take away her sins as it's described of her. And so she said, I'm risking everything I've got. I'm putting it all out there. I'm breaking all the norms, all the taboos, because I have to get to the one who can take away my debt, because she loved Jesus. And just as the moneylender in this story can forgive debt, Jesus is the only one that can forgive our debt and the debts of those that we think have more sin than we do in our lives. And we all have those people. I guarantee if I sit around your table and we talk long enough, you're going to reveal people to me that have more debt to, to, to God than you do. But we all have those things, every single one of us. And this is exactly what every other religion tells us. That in order to, to pay our debt to God, we have to do things. And that, that there's something that we have to do. But Jesus says, no, only I can forgive your debts. And I've already done it. It is done on, and I've done it on your behalf. And so some of us find ourselves like Simon. Think we only have a little bit of debt to pay. And while others have way more debt to pay. But debt is debt. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're in here and you owe $500 on your student loans or you owe $5,000 on your student loans or, God forbid, if you owe $50,000 on your student loans. Debt is debt. And any sin is enough to separate us from God. You may have told one little white lie in your mind. You may say, I'm generally a good person. It doesn't matter. Debt is debt. 
Sin is sin. And that one little sin is enough to separate us from God. And there's nothing that we can do in our own power and our own strength to change that reality. And that's where this woman had gotten. She got to the place, she goes, I can't do this. I don't doubt that she had tried. She probably tried to figure out a way. thought, man, if I just make enough money doing this type of work, then I can give enough to the temple. If I just make enough money, I can do these things. And finally, she got to the end of herself and said, I just can't do it. And I'm just throwing it all out there, and I'm just going to embrace Jesus. And so the good news, what we refer to as the gospel, is that Jesus came to die for you and for me to pay the penalty of our sin, no matter how big or small. And by dying in our place, God proves himself to be loving, merciful, and gracious. Jesus made a way for all debts to be paid. But for them to be paid, you have to accept the offer that Jesus is giving you and that all your debts can be canceled in Jesus. That's why we can rest in Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And the, the good news is there's nothing left to do for your forgiveness of sins. We can rest in that finished work and trust that Jesus paid it all. The story wraps up in verse 44 through 50. It says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them away with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus looks to Simon, and he turns to the woman, like, Hello, Simon. Do you not see this woman and her example? So now Jesus honors the woman. He says, Hey, do you, do you not see this woman? Like, she is the example here for all you religious leaders at this table. She is the one that you should be looked to as an example. And so Jesus contrasts Simon's hospitality with that of the woman. He said, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with oil. And so suddenly this woman of the city is laying her all on the altar of Jesus, worshiping him, whereas Simon is not because he thinks he is too good. So how many of us are guilty of being like Simon? As a result, we see this woman experience forgiveness, not because of her love, it says, but through her faith, which was experienced in how she treats Jesus. She had faith that Jesus could do it. The picture in this text is of a woman who understands that whoever this Jesus is, he is worth all that she has. Is Jesus worth all that you have? One pastor I listened to says it like this, of this story. He says, like Jesus shows up, he grabs a porn star, goes to the Dalai Lama's house for dinner, and in the middle of dinner says, you know, Dalai Lama, you can learn a lot from this prostitute because she's closer to the kingdom than you are. You talk about compassion, but there's no compassion for the unrepentant. You talk about peace, but there's no peace between me and you. You don't repent. You don't have faith in me. You don't worship me. This gal gets it. You should stop lecturing and let her do some teaching. At least she apologizes and changes and wants new life and is honest with how far she is from God. Meanwhile, you're just a deceived deceiver. You see, initially, this woman seems to be the one who's in the greatest place of humiliation because she took the place of a servant by being vulnerable and exposing her emotional state. 
But she ultimately becomes the one that is forgiven, and she becomes the honored one. Jesus said, we're going to honor this lady for her posture and how she has acted. The Pharisee, on the other one, other hand, he seems to initially have the place of honor. Like he is hosting this party. Jesus is the honored guest there. And so he appears to be the one in the righteous position. But as the dinner party continues, Jesus exposes his overlook of being a servant. So in the end, he's the one that actually gets humbled. The humility of the woman exposes Simon's motives as confirming his own suspicions. Simon suddenly becomes the unwelcoming dinner host as he accuses Jesus of not being from God because of how he interacts with sinners. This is why Jesus had this reputation from the religious elite of his day, because he was willing to link his identity with those that, that many of us would not actually probably invite to our tables if we were just real tonight. Many of, many of the people that we would probably even judge in our own city, many, when we drive by the strip clubs and we kind of throw those judgments out there oftentimes, Jesus said, I'm willing to dine with those people. I want to welcome all people. And we see that in the end, Simon is exactly the same as any other self-righteous person or Pharisee. He's just like the Pharisees from last week who accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard. So think of how you as an individual or, or even us as a community, how do we present Jesus if the only people ever interested are the religious while the irreligious atheists want nothing to do with him? We should be a community of people that are seeing all types of people willing to at least join us around the table. I've told you this before. I'll probably tell you this every single week. I'll just keep beating this drum until we finally kind of understand it. I, can't, I don't anticipate those that don't have some kind of general interest are going to show up here on a Sunday night. I really don't. But they will gather around the tables with you. They'll gather at a coffee shop with you. They will grab lunch with you. And those are, those are the people we should be dining with. To not, to not come across like Simon and say, I want to eat with you so I can judge you. But we can dine with him like Jesus and say, let's, let's learn your story. And join Jesus in the ordinariness of life as he invites these people to have a real encounter with him. The implications in the end of this passage are huge. Simon wants to prove that Jesus is not God, but instead Jesus shows that he is God. And only God can forgive sins. Many in our culture think that religions are all the same. We hear that a lot in the city of Portland when I do interact with someone. Like, I'm not a religious person, but like, oh, okay, you are a religious person. Like, all religions are the same. But they aren't, and they don't teach the same thing. Jesus says to this woman, your faith has saved you. Jesus shows us why it's separate, why it's different than any other religion available. And we're still by, saved by faith today. That has not changed. The exact same thing that saved this woman is what can save you tonight and what saves your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. We're saved by faith, and grace comes, through, comes from God through Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. And salvation is a gift that we receive through Jesus, and we receive it by personal faith. And so tonight, we have seen an example of a woman as she comes to Jesus and acknowledges her sin to Jesus. She pours herself out passionately to Jesus, and she hears from Jesus, I forgive you. That's it. The object of her faith is Jesus. So her faith saves her because it's the receiving of Jesus and his forgiveness. I wish that for every single person in the city of Portland. I sincerely do. As I, as I drive around and I, as I interact with individuals, as I walk the streets of Concordia and Alberta Arts District and, and sometimes greater northeast Portland, I sincerely want that for every single person to receive faith of for, and, and forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And I believe that we have many opportunities, especially in the summer months, to invite people uh, to the table to, in ordinary life and the rhythms of this summer month so that they can encounter life change. And that life change doesn't come from you, and it doesn't come from me, it doesn't even come from Sojourn, but it comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone.
There should be something encouraging in this story tonight for all of us, whether you are not the greatest people or we are the very religious people, regardless where you are. You might be a Simon tonight. You might be uh, similar to the woman of the city tonight. Maybe it's in your own heart. No, none of us are looking at you going, ah, but maybe it's in your own heart. I don't know where you're at on that spectrum. Only God truly knows where you are at. But we can cry out to God no matter where we are, and we can confess our sin, and we can repent of our religiosity and the judgment that we have in our hearts. And the message is clear tonight. The message is clear that Jesus has come for all people. Are you willing to repent and accept his invitation? So here's how we're going to respond tonight. What does the peace of God look like in our life? We're going to do a few things. We're going to, we're going to respond by praying. We're going to respond by singing. We're going to respond by giving. We're going to respond by joining Jesus at his table and taking of communion. So let me pray for us. We'll have Philip come back up, and then we'll respond uh, at the table, and then we'll, we'll finish out singing some songs of praise to Jesus. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We hope it was helpful for you as you continue on the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. If you sense God doing something in you and would like to talk to one of us about it, or if you'd just like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, please reach out to us over social media or email, or check out our website at sojournpdx.org. We look forward to hearing from you soon.